The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAfighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? For the first time in 2021, I'm happy to say, well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck here on MMAfighting.com. I am Mike Heck. Happy New Year to all of you as we embark on this brand new year, 2021, coming off one of the most challenging years of our lives, and hopefully this will be a much more positive year as it goes on, of course, because here in the United States, I know this show drops Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but as I record this, it is 10.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday night, January 6th, and today has just not been a great day here in this country as you've probably seen and and heard by now and listen i'm not going to get on this show and talk politics because you're not here to hear my opinion on any of that stuff but i will say just because it's on my mind and i want to just bounce some things off of all you guys it's kind of a rough moment today having my seven almost eight-year-old son walk up to me and ask me what's going on why is everyone so upset why are these things happening and how do you answer that question really I I didn't even know what to say so I in essence told him don't worry about it you're almost eight years old freaking stay that way for as long as you can and I'm just thinking like enjoy the fact that you don't completely understand what is happening right now enjoy the fact that you don't know like just enjoy that live with that it's great be a kid and then just be nice to everybody and be respectful and that's it and he said okay i will daddy and he moved on started jumping on the trampoline and 
Luckily, today, while all of this craziness was going on, I got to do what I love to do more than most things in this world. I got to have some great conversations with some of the greatest people in sports, some of the best athletes in the world, the fighters, some broadcasters, and most of these conversations you will see on the program this week. Others you will see a little bit later on down the road, bonus interviews, etc. Luckily, we got to just kind of focus on other stuff. We didn't talk about any of the craziness going on. We just talked about fighting and hopefully if you're still sort of upset on what has gone on this week, especially on Wednesday, hopefully this show can provide a distraction and we can go from there. But uh, quick programming note before we run down the lineup. If you missed Between the Links on Tuesday, one, what were you thinking? It was awesome. James Lynch versus Alex K. Lee. What a matchup. The last round was amazing. Go back and check that out. It was great. But secondly, I announced that we're going to be making a few schedule changes to this show and in between the links. And the changes are we're going to swap the days around. So this show, instead of dropping on Thursdays, will drop on Tuesdays. BTL or between the links will move to Thursdays because I feel like it, especially this show, this show gets lost in the fight week shuffle. Like when there's nothing going on, it works out better. But like when you have these the, the, the crazy stretch of all the fights, like media days and the weigh-ins and fight nights and all that stuff, like this way it gives you a little extra time to to check it out, take it all in, if you will. Especially if there's fighters that are like fighting that week that are on the show. I mean, how many times do you want to see the same guy answer a lot of the same questions and you know what I mean? So I figured let's move things around, do that, and then beats between the links moving to Thursday, especially on fight weeks. I think the banter kind of takes over. The storylines heading into these fight cards, they build a little more, and it puts us in a position where we could do some of those shows live, which is something we've been wanting to do with Between the Links for quite some time now. But as far as when that change is going to happen, I can't definitively tell you that, uh, but it could be happening as soon as this coming week. So we will keep you posted on that. Follow us on social media at MMA Fighting on Twitter. It will let you know. But in the meantime... This first show of 2021 is a damn fun one. Let us run down the lineup and we'll get to our first guest. We're going to wrap things up with James Krause. I'm sorry, the James Krause. A lot of people were surprised that the UFC did not book the fight between James Krause and Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley is fighting January 16th, but it's not against James Krause. We're going to get James's take on that. Diego Sanchez calling him out via direct message on Instagram big fights for his team at glory mma we touch on all of that james is the man that is coming up at the very end of the show the former ufc and wec lightweight champion of the world anthony pettis is going to join us as he is now the newest member of the lightweight roster for the professional fighters league maybe the shortest free agency in mma history at least from a name of this stature like a former champion what was he a free agent for like a two days maybe three just crazy but this is the first time i've had the chance to to speak with showtime you'll hear and see that conversation a little bit later on it just felt like in keeping with tradition that we had to bring on the man who was the first guest in the history of the show to join us for the first show of this new year john anik returns in around 20 minutes to talk fight island mcgregor versus poirier we even touched on some of the criticism that Joe Rogan has been getting as of late. So keep it locked in for that conversation. Always great to have fellow Massachusetts native John Anik on the program. But first, 
let us kick things off with the first interview of the year with the man who was heading to Abu Dhabi anyways to fight on January 20th, but now he potentially will do so for two extra rounds, 10 extra minutes, and he's gonna be at the top, on the marquee, on the poster, in the main event, takes on Neil Magny at UFC Fight Island 8, that Wednesday card. Here he is, Michael Chiesa. All right, first interview of 2021 going down right now. Sure, some of them may have dropped in 2021, but this is the first one conducted in the new year. And what better way to kick it off than with the man, which you found out last week will now be headlining the January 20th UFC event on Fight Island against Neil Magny. UFC Fight Island 8, happy to be joined by main event Mike, Michael Chiesa. (laughs) Happy New Year, sir. How are you? Main event, Mike. I could get used to that. I'm doing good, man. Happy New Year to you as well. And it's an honor to be your first guest of this new year. Appreciate it very much. This is a nice way to kick off the New Year's and not turn the page from a strange pandemic-filled 2020 and you kick off 2021 in a, in a headline spot. What a world, Mike. Yeah, what a world and what a whirlwind, man. I mean, I remember waking up uh, the day the news broke that Hamza Chumaya was out of the main event. I woke up and saw the news and was like, fuck, I'm going to lose the fight. Pardon my language. I thought I was going to lose the fight with Neil. And I feel like him and I have kind of been eyeing each other for a while. So just instantly I'm like, well, I kind of knew this was going to happen. This is why I didn't announce the fight yet to anybody. And uh, as the day went on, it turned out to be a really good day. I thought it was going to be a crappy day. So I'm excited to be in the main event spot against a guy like Neil Magny. Uh, It's going to be a really fun fight for the fans. Why did you feel like you were going to lose the fight? Did you think like Neil would get the bump up or that they cancel the event altogether? Uh, I thought that Neil would get the bump up, you know, just because they kind of had him in that spot anyways, more or less to fight Hamza had Leon fallen out. But I knew that that could go both ways. And I'd kind of been warned about that prior to the fight getting booked for like, hey, we're going to book you and Magni. But just so you know, if something happens to to Chemayev and Edwards for the December 19th card, we're going to bump Neil up. And I'm like, okay. And then we get there the 19th and I thought we were kind of out of the woods. But I still wasn't convinced. That's why I just, I didn't announce anything. I'm like, I'm just not until I know that this is going to happen for sure. I'm not saying anything and it very well could change. You never know. One of us could pop, pop for COVID. You never know. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but, um, you know, I just, that's why I didn't announce. I'm like, I'm just going to stay focused. I'm going to stay training and just know that, you know, hopefully if everything pans out, I'll be fighting Neil. And, uh, yeah, so it's not that I thought the 20th, the the event on the 20th would get canceled. I just thought something would happen to the main event and I was actually right, but I was wrong about one thing. I get to keep my Neil Magny fight. There you go. And you're in the main event. So uh, obviously there's, there's a lot to discuss, Michael. First off, the last time we spoke, it was on the UFC 256 preview show. You made some great predictions. People (laughs) dug uh, the the Mike and Mike chemistry we put out for the world to see, but you did tease that fight with, with Magny was set. You were excited about the opponent. And then we found out that it was Neil Magny. This is your longest layoff in a few years. Now hump pumped to you to just get back in there and continue this momentum at 170 pounds. Yeah, I'm really excited to continue the momentum. You know, everybody's year got thrown, you know, just just thrown through a loop, you know. So my whole plan was, you know, get through the fight with with RDA, get a little minor surgery done on my on my knee and then move on to a fight in July, move on to a fight towards the end of the year, maybe January. And, uh, you know, that all got just thrown out the window. Um COVID 2020. And, uh, you know, so it, it, you know, even though my goals, they kind of got rearranged, uh, I still got to end the year with one of the, my, my top goals. And that was to be put in a main event spot before 2020 ends. So I, I was able to make that happen. It just sucks. There's a lot of inactivity between those two, between this fight and my last one. But, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's 
a, this analyst role has kept my mind sharp. I've had to study a lot of fights. I've had to look at things objectively and it's, it's kind of broadened my mind a lot more towards the sport. I'm able to pick up a lot more things when I watch it and I'm watching film and things of that sort. And it gave me time to hone my skills and fill some voids in my game that needed to be addressed. And you know, I'm, I'm ring rust. I don't believe in ring rust. I'm not worried about the layoff in that sense. Um, so I'm just excited to get out there and compete, man. I, I feel like this is going to be the best version of myself that I've shown in my whole nine year UFC career. Yeah. You mentioned the, um, the, the, the small knee operation that you needed done. And then I remember in July, you tweeted out that you're going to have two operations done in one session. And then when it was done, you would be a new man because of it. So I haven't had the chance to ask you this question. Do you feel like a new man since July? Yeah, I feel like a new man since July, but that surgery did not go as well as we had hoped. Um, supposed to be around 45 minutes to an hour max. And uh, it turned out to be a six and a half hour surgery. They really kind of did a number on me. And I definitely had some dark days throughout the recovery process wondering like, you know, I knew I would still get to compete again, but I was just like, "Am I, is my leg going to be the same? You know what I mean? Um, you know, and I think that that's just normal for anybody that's going through the recovery process after a surgery, but I definitely had some dark days. Um, but they're behind me. My legs a hundred percent. I'm able to do a lot of things I couldn't do before. And, you know, and that, that's very exciting. You know what I mean? To be able to go through a full training camp and not be dragging my leg behind me because I've got all this pain in my knee. Um, it's been, it's been really nice. It's been refreshing. So how long were you dragging that pain of the knee around with you? Was it, was it something that, that had been going on for a long time for you? Yeah, a really long time. I mean, this is a, an injury I sustained when I was a teenager and it just, as, as time has progressed, it just got worse and worse and worse. And especially particularly when winter comes around, um, you know, cause I had hardware in my leg. Uh, so it's just like the, the winter before that, man, I just remember coaching or I, I coach high school wrestling and, or at least I used to, I'm not coaching it this last year, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, um, particularly when wrestling season would come around and I'd be on my feet for three hours coaching, just standing there by the time practice would get over, man, I could not, I could, I would literally be dragging my leg, like a peg leg, like it almost like I got like my leg is dead, you know? So it's, uh, it's something that was progressively getting worse and I was just able to tough it out over the years. But, um, it just came to the point, like I'm, I got to become a championship caliber fighter and I have skills, but I, I have the skills to do it, but I have little things like this injury that I keep prolonging fixing. That's going to hold me back from getting to my ultimate goal. So I just had to just bite the bullet, get the surgery done, deal with the recovery time. And it was the best thing I ever did. And it was, a, I mean, given the time, given the whole landscape of, of 2020 and, and it was just like, this is the time to do it, man. You know, there, we had a big pause on the sport for, you know, two months. And so it was just, that was the time to just get it done, get it over with and move on. And now I don't ever have to worry about it again. I haven't had any pain in my leg for the first winter since I was 15 years old. So it feels really good. That's amazing. So this is going to be your first main event as a new man on two good legs. First one since <laughs> July 2018 for the Kevin Lee fight. Of course, the, the, the buildup for that fight was mostly because of that press conference earlier in that year. And, you know, Neil's a confident guy. He's a really good fighter. But it has to feel pretty good knowing that this time around for this main event, this can be built solely as a pivotal matchup in a loaded division and not any of the other kind of tomfoolery. Is that accurate? Yeah, dude, it's 100% accurate. And look, Neil's got great skills and he's a good man. Uh, and these are the guys I want to compete against. I did the whole press conference thing. I've done the trash talk and stuff. It's just not who I am. And that doesn't mean that, you know, any fight thereafter, after this Neil Magny fight, I could get pitted against a guy that's going to talk trash, you know, and that's, 
that's all fine and dandy, but I just, I don't engage in that anymore. That's just not who I am. Um, but it's always nice to go out there and compete against a guy that you have a lot of respect for. And is just a good all around human being. It is a good athlete. I feel like that makes for, I, I feel like that makes for fireworks as well. You don't have to hate the guy to put on a great performance. You know what I mean? And, and I know Neil's going to bring it. And I feel like there's a lot of things in our skill sets that cancel each other out and can make this fight really exciting for the fans. And it's just, you know, he's a heck of a guy. I'm excited to compete against him. I'm excited to go five rounds with the guy. He presents great challenges, especially in this circumstance. I mean, this is a guy that trains at elevation. Neil's a five round fighter. He stepped up on two and a half weeks notice, two weeks notice and fought Kelvin Gastelum in Mexico city at elevation and squeaked out a split decision. win. I mean, the cards are in his favor. If you look at this on paper for cardio and I like the challenge, you know what I mean? This is, this is what it's all about for me. I like challenging myself and it's going to be a fun fight. So, um, you know, I didn't hesitate when they called and said, Hey, we want to put you in the main event. I said, deal, let's go. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing to, no questions to be asked. I'm just excited for the opportunity. Yeah. And, and listen, you've showed your ability to, to bring a strong pace in your last couple of fights too. You've got to bring that kind of a pace when you fight a, a crazy man like Diego Sanchez and you brought it the entire time. You didn't seem to waver at all. Have you, I know Neil's kind of a different beast. He brings the same energy in minute one as he does in minute 15, or in this case, 25. Have you had to change things at all from like a strength and conditioning standpoint to prepare for a guy like Neil and what he brings to the table in that aspect? Well, you know, given the short time, yeah, we'll make some changes through this last peak week. Um, you know, but for the most part, it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't have, I was able to push a pretty hard pace at 155 pounds after these hard weight cuts, these hard weight regiments, weight cutting regiments and stuff like that. Um, you know, but yeah, we'll fine tune some things through this last week, but even before, so when Shamaya fell off, I had, I went to Tucson to get some training in, uh, with my teammate, Tyler, some other guys go get some, some taller bodies. Um, you know, I'm like the tallest guy in my gym. A lot of the other guys are like around six foot. So I had to go find the guy that's six, three, found a couple of those in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and I went to, before I knew I was in the main event, I was like, Hey, we're going to adjust the sparring. I want to do five rounds today. You know, usually for my, for all my grappling and my wrestling stuff, we do a ton of rounds, but you know, for sparring, we spar hard. Don't do, you don't take any more damage. It's not necessary. So we always keep it within the, the parameters of the fight, three, five minute rounds. Um, but that day I was like, Hey, look, we're going five, five minute rounds. I just, I want just in case something happens, this is what I want to do. We did it. And I pushed a pace from bell to bell. So conditioning is not an issue. I'm, I'm on point, you know, what's 10 extra minutes. You know what I mean? Then when you break it down, you can't make it out to be more than what it is. And I draw a lot of inspiration from my colleague and my friend, Paul Felder, that guy's a beast. And I know I'm not training for a triathlon, but I'm in great shape. I'm, you know, I've been through, this has been a long training camp what's 10 extra minutes. If my, if my guy, Paul Felder can jump, you know, not jump off the couch, but jump off the bike or the treadmill and go fight a five, 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 five minute rounds against RDA. There's no reason why I can't go out there and do the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, so I draw inspiration from my peers and I have a lot of confidence in my training. So I'm very confident I can go out there and get the win, whether I get the finish or I have to fight this guy to the bitter end. I'm confident I can win this fight. I feel and correct me if you don't feel this way, like having the welterweight division in a headline spot for the second time in three cards, once you fight, it's huge because, and as you've seen as a fighter and as an analyst, the division, especially up the top, it feels like it's lost a little bit of buzz since July, since Kamaru Usman beat Jorge Mazadal. Like we had Covington versus Woodley. We had wonder boy versus Jeff Neal, but I don't know. I feel like this is good timing to get this division, especially, you know, top five, top 10, 
rolling again and, and they get, get that excitement built back up. Do you feel the same way or is that just me sort of thinking out loud here? No, that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's this, the, we're getting this division moving again, you know, and it would have been not trying to take any luster or any shine off of mine and Neil's main event, but it had Chamayev and Leon Edwards got to stay on the card. You got the, you got the double feature. You'd have the main and co-main two top 10 fights, uh, in, in the welterweight division, you know, they're, they're trying to move this division along. I, you know, I talked to Sean Shelby in fight Island and uh, when I was there for the, that little three week stretch, I did work in the desk and, uh, you know, he was like, Hey, when you get home, be ready. We're, we're getting this division moving again. There's too many guys. There's too many good guys sitting around. There's fights that need to be made up until this last recent stretch of these welterweight fights, there was no movement in the rankings for a long time. I mean, you could go back. I think the last ranked guy that fought up until this stretch of welterweight fights, I think was like Luke versus Randy Brown. You know what I mean? And, and Randy Brown was a ranked at the time, but I mean, there was a long stretch where we didn't have ranked welterweights fighting. So that was their plan this whole time is to get this fight, get these welterweight fights moving, get this division moving. There's a lot of guys that there's a lot of good guys that need to make their way to the top. You know what I mean? And, and things need to be, we need to see what guys belong, where we need to see, we need to line up some contenders. We don't even have outside of Burns and Colby. You usually have an idea of who the next guy could be fighting for the title. And we still don't really have an idea of who that could be. So we got to get this division moving again. You know, and this is a perfect main event between me and Neil, two guys that we're gunning for the top. We were, we're, both of us aspire to be world champions. This is a fight that's got to be made. And I'm excited to be a part of this new welterweight movement to get this division going again. So what are the next couple of weeks going to be like for you? Like when, when do you head to Vegas? And then subsequently, when do you travel out to Abu Dhabi? Uh, so I think I leave the ninth, um, leave the ninth. And, uh, you know, then we got two days of quarantine. Then we got the flight, then another couple of days of quarantine. Um, you know, so really, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of, it's going to kind of be different having that, you know, usually it's like a five weeks, usually five days. Usually I go out about a week before. Um, so, you know, you're cutting the camp just a few days short, but I got to remember everybody else has to do the same thing. So it's not like I'm putting myself at any type of disadvantage. We're all kind of going through the same thing together. Um, you know, but that's why it's imperative to, to have a little bit of a longer training camp to make sure I'm in shape and be ready to adapt. You know, this has been, even though this fight is in 2021, this fight got booked in 2020 In 2020, I feel like was the year for opportunity. You know, I feel like a lot of guys, a lot of great opportunities presented themselves and a lot of them happened on short order. And, uh, you know, this fight was no different. So I made sure to have a longer training camp to make sure I'd be ready for anything that any type of change that presented itself, any type of opportunity that came my way. I made sure to be ready for it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that I did that. You know what I mean? Cause, uh, this would have caught me off guard. This came as no surprise. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, really, really excited to head to fight Island to be able to have gone there for three weeks and see how things are done and kind of get the vibe and get, go to the flash forum. And I don't even know if we're at the flash forum this time we might actually be at that new arena, the building. I mean, you might know more about this than I do, but that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to go there, get the vibe, got, you know, and once I got there and saw how things were run, I was like, I want to come here and fight. So hopefully things pan out to where I'm able to do that. And they did. So I'm just really excited to get out there and compete and get out there and get on fight Island. I, I mean, this is like a, it's just been a crazy year, man. I'm just really excited to get out there and start this one off. Right. Isn't the start time for your card? Like, I guess normal should be the word, like at least from that time. Cause I was looking at like the, the ESPN page and it had like the start times for the three cards. And it said like your event started at 9am Eastern time. So wow. I don't know, like, do you know anything about that? 
You know, I haven't heard. I tried texting Dana and asked him about uh, if there was going to be fans there or not. And I asked him that just to kind of get a read on what the, what t- what the time would be. Because I would assume like, uh, you know, they're not going to have fans rolling in the door at like 3 a.m. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure what the start times are, um, you know, but I, I, I really that stuff doesn't concern me, man. I don't really get too rattled about ring rust or start times for fights. I mean at the end of the day, it's like, you're either going to, you're going to step up and do it or you're not, you know? So it's, uh, I'm not too worried about the start time. Uh, it would be cool to have fans there though. I think that'd be pretty sweet. So I I don't really know in terms of whether there's going to be fans there, the start times or any of that stuff. I just know I got a heck of a main event ahead of me against a really tough opponent and I'm excited to put on a show for the fans. So we'll see what happens. So how do we close this thing out on January 20th? Second of three events, eight day span on the Island. How do we get this thing done? get this thing done by just doing what I do best, man. Just be me, put the pressure on. Uh, I know he's going to meet me in the middle. And ultimately, you know, I'd like to get this thing done in less than 25 minutes, but if I got to go the distance, I got to go the distance. I just know that I've, I've had a great camp. I'm healthy. You know, I, I went into that last fight with a broken nose. I didn't get to do any live training. Um, and I still got to, I know I got a week ahead of me. So knock on wood, I don't want to jinx myself, but this is the healthiest I've gone into a fight since the Diego Sanchez camp. So I'm going to be a totally different guy. So I'm just excited to go out there and compete, man, in a, in a real, in an ideal situation. I get my hand raised within the 25 minute, within the 25 minute mark. I, I beat him. You know, I finish him. I, I make, I put a stamp on this fight, shoot myself up into the top five, get myself into another big fight. And the year is the number one contender at 170 pounds. I got lawfully goals, but I'm very confident I can achieve them right now. Mike, I think, I think it's my time. Um, 33 years old. I've been in the UFC for nine years. I feel like I'm at my best. I feel like I'm in my prime. I feel like this is a good showcase fight for me. Yeah, I can see it in your eyes. There's a there's, there's a focus to you, Mike. But you know, I can't let you go before uh, before we get the analyst side out of it. Hey. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pop you like crazy, <laughs> but you know, Fight Island, man. There's three big main events on the island. First off, January 16th, Max Holloway, the former featherweight champion, first non-title fight he has had in forever, taking on the surging New Englander. Calvin Cater, phenomenal fight, especially knowing that some of the advantages Max has had in his career, like his size, his reach at 45, those are negated. In fact, the reach advantage goes to Calvin Cater in this fight. I love this one. I love all three main events, but I really, this one really sticks out to me, Mike. What do you think of this fight? Well, you got to (laughs) remember, no disrespect to Max Holloway, love the guy, but he's never has a reach advantage. He's got a 69 inch reach. People don't realize it. Max Holloway has does not have a long wingspan, so he's never really at I mean, him being at a reach disadvantage. It's kind of a that's kind of like a common thing for his fights, but he makes up for it with his pressure and the way he changes stances. And you would never guess that this guy doesn't have a long reach because he fights like he has a long reach. But a lot of that has to do with pressure and his ability to stand in the pocket and throw volume punches. Not like he throws short punches. He throws long. So it looks like he has a long reach, but Calvin Cater, man, this guy is an assassin. He is sharp. We saw in the Jeremy Stevens fight. He looked good. We saw in the Dan Ige fight and Dan Ige is as tough as they come. He's durable. Calvin Cater showed he can push a pace for 25 minutes. The guy's super tough. He's rolling the new England cartel. Those guys that there's something going on over there. I think that, you know, you got Rob Font who's looking good. Uh, you know, and Calvin Cater's kind of been the captain of that team. Um, I I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a showcase fight for Calvin because Max is as tough as they come, but I feel like there's something in the air that that, that Calvin Cater does, does enough to get the job done. But 
with that being said, Max Holloway, he could, he could show us that he really is one of the best to ever do it by going out and beating Calvin Cater. It's, it's tough to say. I feel like the odds are stacked against Max a little bit. And, and, and I don't think it's from a skill standpoint. I think maybe, I don't know how focused he is on wanting that fight to get that fight back with Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, and, and, you know, in this sport, Mike, as, as, as from your side of things in the media, like you have to be focused on the task at hand. You can't be focused on the fights that could have, would have, should have happened or should have went different or things of that sort. Those can come back to haunt you. So I would hate to see Max have this fight, have hit, have his performance be altered by the fact that he's too focused on getting that third fight against the champion. So um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm slightly leaning towards cater in this fight, but I think it's going to be a striking, a striking extravaganza, lots of boxing. It's going to be, it's going to be really fun. I'm excited for it. And of course, after you and Neil Magny do your thing, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier are going to lock horns again. Conor back after nearly the same layoff you've had, uh, taking on a guy in Dustin Poirier who is a much different fighter than their first meeting. To be fair, both guys are. But, man, last fight on the island for January. What sticks out to you when these two high-level lightweights get after it? Well, one thing Conor's shown time and time again is this guy – the, the, the time off, he's going to show improvements. I mean, we saw him when he fought Cowboy Cerrone, just like came out with these shoulder strikes. He, he, you know, he put a, he put a big stamp on the main event, finishing an ultra tough Cowboy Cerrone, you know, but Dustin's a guy that he's shown his new wrinkles in his game through his performances. He's been a little more active than Connor. And I think that the move to 155 pounds has been good for his chin. I mean, everybody always wants to go back to that first fight and say, you know, you know, he got slept really fast and that's going to haunt him in his sleep. And going to come back to bite him in the butt in this fight. I just don't know if I, if I truly believe that I, I, I think, you know, Connor's one of the best fighters we've ever seen in the octagon, arguably the best, you know, but he, you know, he, this guy, he's, he's versatile. He's, he's got underrated ground skills. I mean, you saw, if you if you go back and watch this fight with Habib, he was able to defend takedowns. He was able to get back to his feet. He was able to do a lot of the things that Dustin couldn't, but this fight's not going to take place on the ground. These guys are going to fight on the feet. Dustin's shown a lot of new wrinkles in his boxing game. He's shown that his chin is not compromised. He can take a shot and, you know, and I think that maybe his activity could benefit him in this fight. And I think the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to benefit Dustin. If the fight goes to it, if the fight's finished, it's going to be a Conor McGregor knockout. If this fight goes the distance, I believe Dustin Poirier gets his hand raised. With that being said, I believe that Dustin has what it takes to avoid the early onslaught from Conor and take this fight into deeper water and win a decision. No matter what, I think this fight is going to be absolutely insane. I think that either irregardless it's either going to be a knockout of the year performance for Connor, or it's going to be a five round fight of the year between Connor and Poirier. But I just think if this fight goes the distance, I think it favors, I think it favors Dustin Moore. There you go, everybody. Early preview from the man himself, yeah. the man who's going to be headlining January 20th against Neil Magny. Always a pleasure catching up with you, my man. The timing on this and ending this is perfect because my seven-year-old just walked up to me. He lost a tooth. Oh. About a minute ago. How about that? So he's getting a visit <laughs> hey. from the tooth fairy. But uh, all the best to you, Mike. Safe travels. Happy New Year once again, man. Peace. Thank you, sir. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. 
and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Interesting fight at 170 pounds. Michael Chiesa, a very healthy as it seems, Michael Chiesa taking on Neil Magny. Very interested to see how this plays out. And not only that, very intrigued to see where the winner goes from that fight because 170, as it's been for a while, absolutely loaded. But still a lot of question marks, especially at the top. Of course, we find out Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns is official uh, at UFC 258 in February. That's a huge fight. But, I mean, listen, with this division sort of working itself out, this fight on January 20th between Chiesa and Magny, very important, especially so early in the year. But speaking of Fight Island, you're going to be hearing this voice quite a bit during the UFC's next trip to Fight Island. Let us welcome back the play-by-play voice. Mr. John Anik. All right. Well, in keeping with tradition, the first guest in the history of the show had to join us for the first episode of the new year. And it's fitting as we put a bow on 2020 officially and look ahead to what is shaping up to be a massive 2021. Have to be joined once again by the voice of the UFC broadcast, the Jalen Brown to my Peyton Pritchard, the great John Anik. Happy New Year, my man. How are you? Happy 2021 to you, my man. It's good to be with you. It's good to be kicking off a new year with a lot of fights. I mean, I'm on an email chain with these bout notifications, and I can tell you, man, these fight announcements are coming fast and furious. So it's going to be an interesting first quarter. And uh, I think for those of us that have had a couple weeks at home, we're kind of jonesing to get back on the road and, and get to Fight Island again. I agree, man. There's just so much to talk about. And it's crazy to look back on that conversation we had in early April of 2020 with where the world was at the time. And fast forward to where we're at now after a storyline filled year with the pandemic and massive fights and breakout stars just leaving us with so much to talk about. I'm curious, John, like when you're when your kids, when even like your grandkids someday down the road, someday ask you, like, what was 2020 like? What do you think you're going to say? Well, I'm hopeful that 2021 isn't going to be super similar to 2020. I can't sit here and tell you that we're out of the woods. Two days ago, there were north of 31,000 cases in my home state of Florida alone, right? So I am hopeful uh, that come the fourth quarter, I won't be taking a COVID-19 test at my house, administering it on my own as I did yesterday. So But yeah, man, obviously, I think for a lot of us, even for my kids, when they look back at a year that was void of school and full of masks and uh, not being able to go to restaurants or go to gymnastics or anything like that, I think we're hopeful that the end is in sight. And uh, certainly with vaccinations coming down the pipe, hopefully uh, we can get vaccinated, you know, when we're prioritized. I'm not saying that we should go to the front of the line, um, but you got to think that 2021 is going to is going to bring some wholesale changes and things that are better than than what we dealt with last year. 
Yeah, I hope you're right about that. Um, I, I, you know what? Just kind of putting a bow on 2020. I, I do want to get your take on something, if I could, because you know, you being a massive sports fan and MMA compared to like a lot of the other sports that we watch, it's still a baby. Like the UFC compared to all these other organizations is still a baby, but. We had our year-end awards at MMA Fighting, and most of the individual awards, everybody was universally in agreement with, but there was one that got people all sorts of fired up, the 2020 Breakout Fighter of the Year. So basically, how it works, John, is like the staff will rank their top five for each of these awards, and whoever gets the most points wins the award, but... This one went to Hamzat Shemaev, and personally, I gave it to Kevin Holland, but I completely understand anybody giving it to Shemaev because he went from relatively unknown, unless you like were a fan of him going up, to this massive figure that right. we couldn't go a single show without getting a question about or talking about. Man, have I been getting hammered for writing that article, article because everyone thought it was Kevin Holland. The interpretation of that award can go in so many different ways, John, but... What are your thoughts of that? Because outside of me saying Volkanovski Holloway 2 wasn't a robbery, I can't remember getting beat up so badly on the internet when I actually went with the masses for my pick. Well, big picture, I will start with big mouth Kevin Holland. And I think maybe some of us underestimated just how much support there is domestically and internationally for Kevin Holland after a 5-0 2020. And I really think the nature of the Jockaday fight that seemingly was watched by a lot of people was such that it took him to the next level. You know, midway through the year, he's beating Darren Stewart, coming over the octagon and saying to Dana White, hey, man, I didn't even know if I won tonight. I want to run that back and give the dentist another shot, you know? So the only argument against Kevin Holland is the strength of schedule, right? A lot of these year-end awards, you know, you're starting with the champions. Kenny Florian on our podcast said Davison Figueroa was the breakout star of the year, you know? I think that might have been a byproduct of just trying to find some hardware for Figueroa, who wasn't his male fighter of the year, but it just just depends how you quantify it. The criteria is open to interpretation. I mean, you could argue Amanda Hibas. For me, Hamzat Shimaev was the breakout star of 2020. And I think that has to do with where he was in 2019 relative to where he is entering 2021. Uh, but again, man, these awards, they certainly light people up. Male Fighter of the Year was very contentious on our show. Um, but I think as long as you find some sort of trophy for Kevin Holland, for Kamzat Shimaev, maybe give him Rookie of the Year, then uh, all's well that ends well. There you go. Of course, like like John said, if you want to get more on the award season, Anakin Florian just gave their hardware away. So go check that out on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. But uh, we've thrown the 2020 calendar in the trash, John. It's on to 2021 and the year will begin on Fight Island. Three events in an eight day stretch and it kicks off next Saturday, the 16th. UFC Fight Island 7 headlined by Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. More on the fight in a moment, but it was made official that the event will be not just airing on ESPN Plus, but will also be broadcast on ABC. And as a guy who probably watched a lot of sports in his heyday on ABC, Monday Night Football and so forth and so on, why World of Sports? This is pretty cool, is it not? It's exciting. And I try to sort of steer clear the ratings conversation because I got to stay in my lane and focus on what I do. And it's nice when we do a big number, but that can't be my focus. I can't be disappointed when we don't do a number that I was expecting that we would do. But it's huge. I actually wasn't even in line to call this show. And now I'm thankful to be getting the opportunity. So we're heading to Fight Island a week early. Initially, I was just going to go for the pay-per-view at the end of the rip. But it's it's big, man. I And I think sometimes we're so 
internally invested and in it that, to me, a show that's wall-to-wall on UFC Fight Pass feels very similar to a UFC Fight Night on ABC. And as my friend, you are you know that, and you know what my reality is. But it's exciting, you know? It's exciting when I get text messages from friends I haven't heard of that are mainstream sports fans that say, I just read an article that the UFC is going to be on ABC. So that gives me maybe a lens into which you know, I'm not usually looking and maybe suggest that it's a bigger deal than I have thought it is. So we're excited. Boots to the ground, 13 fights, Michael. Here we go. Here we go. Holloway versus Cater, the first main event of 2021. It seemed like this is the path to take, right? You have Max Holloway, who has been in nothing but title fights for the last four years. He now takes on a very hungry New Englander and Calvin Cater, who I believe was a bigger story in 2020 than he may be getting credit for because this loaded talent filled featherweight division needed some movement up the top and Calvin stayed busy got two big wins and that activity those performances over Jeremy Stevens and Danny Gay set himself up for this massive fight but man what do you think of this the, the first of three main events in Abu Dhabi coming up next Saturday yeah probably criminal that a lot of us got through our awards show formalities without even dropping the name Calvin Cater so I think you're wise to sort of bring him up in that context given how big 2020 was for him it's a huge fight and I kind of feel like, Mike, I was the guy after Holloway Volkanovsky, too, who said, man, I'd hate to be Max Holloway's next opponent because he's going to put it on somebody after, <laughs> you know, getting hosed largely. I hate to throw out that robbery term, but I, I definitely walked away from those 25 minutes thinking that Max Holloway had regained his title. And, you know, fights are big swings to begin with. When you lose a title fight like that and all of a sudden you're not a two-time UFC featherweight champion and you're not defending your belt, uh, it's almost like walking back into your new life. So, uh massively disappointing for Max Holloway, but a big opportunity for him to gain back a lot of that steam against the oncoming Calvin Cater. You know, with respect to my guy, Ken Flo, I think Calvin Cater is probably Boston's best hope for a UFC champion. You know, I think he has most of the tools that you need. I think it's going to be a byproduct of getting the big fights and staying healthy. You know, I hate to keep banging this drum, but his hands were pretty sore after the Dan Ige fight. It's a 25-minute fight. You know, I do think you have to be measured and try to, you know, maybe conserve some energy and some health early on in a 25-minute fight. But what a great main event for us on ABC. I mean, you're embedded. You know all too well how good that fight is on paper. And, uh, you know, I can't see how it's boring. So nice showcase for those two guys. And uh, and hopefully for the Bostonians, Calvin Cade is dropping that Methuen accent on the ABC masses at the end of the fight. You never know. You mentioned something that's become kind of a big storyline heading into this fight. And, and others I've spoken with said the same thing. I talked to Michael Chiesa the other day about this. And he, even Calvin mentioned it when I spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. The question is, is Max Holloway over that fight with Volkanovski? The second one, like, is he looking beyond Cater towards a third fight with the current champion? Is is that something that's on your mind as well? Like, Max is a consummate pro, and you never know what he's thinking, even when he says what he says. Or do you think this is more of, like, a creation of a storyline for storyline's sake? I think the latter. I think he's the greatest featherweight of all time. He may not have the title defenses that Jose Aldo does necessarily, but he is the greatest featherweight fighter of all time. And the version that he presented against Alexander Volkanovski and against City Kickboxing and against Eugene Behrman and that great team that is obviously trying to beat Max Holloway and his great team, his longstanding team. Those adjustments, that performance in the rematch should be hugely encouraging to Hawaiians and to Max Holloway fans. So I think he is elite enough, an athlete physically and mentally, that uh, you can expect a prime, prime time performance from Max Holloway. And I still think he'll get a great shot from Calvin Cater, but I certainly think Holloway 
Holloway deserves to be entrenched as a two to one favorite. And, and I expect him to be as good as ever and as good as he was, you know, in the Volkanovsky fight a few months ago. Yeah, a lot to like on this card. We got Breeze versus Akhmedov. Joaquin Buckley makes his 2021 debut against Alessio DeCherico. Return of Santiago Ponzinibbio. We got Carlos Conda versus Matt Brown. Maybe the most under-the-radar fight on Fight Island. Very fun. And then we go to Wednesday, the 20th. Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny, the main event for that one. And as we all know by now, Leon Edwards versus Hamzat Shemaev postponed once again. But... Man, I'm glad these guys got the bump up to keep this division in the forefront because I feel like welterweight has so many unanswered questions coming out of 2020, especially in the top five and the top 10. Like big fight coming up on the 20th between these two under the radar guys at 170 looking to get over that hump and closer to the top five themselves. What say you in regards to Kiesa versus Magni on the 20th? Yeah, it's a good problem to have, but I think the sports fan embedded in all of us wants that clarity a little bit at lightweight and at welterweight. But yeah, it's a fascinating main event. I think it's simplistic to just say that because it's now 25 minutes and not 15 that the advantage swings to Neil Magni. You know, Michael Kiesa has outstanding cardio. I think he's got to find a choke, you know. I mean, I don't think he necessarily wants to play the long game, but I think these guys match up so well with each other they're both known for being super hard workers. I think they're both on the cusp. And I also think they're both in their prime. You know, Magny has obviously had some historic runs that didn't result in championship opportunities. But I do think he's better than that guy that was ripping off six or seven in a row. So I'm very excited to see what these guys can do. And Kiesa deserves this type of fight. You know, he was fighting in the wrong division for way too long. And I think he would be the first to acknowledge that publicly. So I'm excited to see what he can do. This is the fight that he's wanted. You know, a lot of people, I don't I don't know if it's his lack of knockout power on paper, but a lot of people are calling out Neil Magny and uh, Kiesa gets the fight. We'll see what he can do with it in 14 days, my man. Yeah, he's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, very healthy. He's got he had the knee the knee surgery didn't go well initially, but he seems to be as healthy as he's ever been heading into a fight. So that's the Wednesday card. That's really good. But we'll be diving deeper into that one on MA fighting for sure as we get closer. But first pay per view of 2021, January 23rd, Conor McGregor is back taking on Dustin Poirier in a in a rematch and. We know how the first fight went, but that seems like it was forever ago now, John, but it's still part of the story. But these are just two completely different fighters now in 2021, are they not? No doubt about it. And I think Conor McGregor doesn't get the credit he deserves as being one of the best strikers in MMA. Distance management, power, knowing what to throw and when to throw it, adding layers, getting better constantly. The shoulder strikes against Donald Cerrone. Not every day you see that as a method of victory and by the way mixed in a head kick for good measure you know when some people talk about what conor mcgregor did in 2020 he was the perfect fighter circumstances prevented him from making that walk again um but i'm just excited to see mcgregor at 155 pounds where he hasn't competed all that often in the ufc it's crazy to think that he has one 155 pound win in the ufc and that was the championship over eddie alvarez it's a fascinating number obviously poirier is a completely different beast than he was in 2014 it's amazing how good Poirier was, though, back then. And if you talk to him now, he just knew so much less than he knows now. And I think it's been a mental evolution as much as a physical one for him. You know, I think the miles on the Poirier tank could be a benefit and could be a detriment. You know, I mean, that hooker fight was an absolute war and there were wars on top of wars, you know. So I do think it stands to reason that Conor McGregor is going to be the fresher fighter. You know, Poirier and McGregor both putting themselves through hell right now. But uh, it's as good as it get, gets, man. It really is. And uh, I think the only sprinkle would be if the title was on the line. But it certainly feels like a championship fight to me. Yeah, that, that you've made a great point about 
Poirier's mileage and it could be a help to him. And you kind of saw it in that Dan Hooker fight because that second round between those two guys was just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And and maybe the Dustin Poirier of old, if he was in that position, he might have got finished in the second round. But the composure he showed in that moment makes me so intrigued for this fight with Connor because you know, he doesn't freak out when he's in these moments anymore. He's able to, to get through them. Is that something you notice as well? Is that just spark an extra bit of intrigue to you? Yeah, it's a great point by you. And you're seeing me nod my head. And I do think the UFC apex has an effect on certain fighters, this tremendous calming influence. And I think Poirier kind of walked out, felt like he was better than Dan Hooker everywhere, as humbly as he would say that, and just felt very comfortable in that environment, almost as if it's a glorified sparring session. You saw him talking shit to the broadcast team. if I'm not mistaken and then going right up to Dan after the fact it's a very intimate setting and Fight Island is different right I don't know how many fans are going to be in the building I don't know how many VIPs are going to be in the building but I do know that the 30 foot octagon is going to be in the goddamn building and there are going to be at least a couple hundred people around the octagon it's a different setting and by the way Conor McGregor is going to be walking through that door and not Dan Hooker. So I can't wait to see how it plays out. You know, I haven't had a chance to call all that many of McGregor's fights. I feel like I've been step by step with Poirier for his entire UFC career. So uh, excited to see Conor make that walk and uh, come hell or high water, man. However many COVID tests I got to beat, I'm going to be there January 23. Great nod to Rick Pitino with the walking through the door comment. I dig it. Uh, of course, Michael Chandler is going to debut against the aforementioned Dan Hooker on that card. That's a banger. That's a big one. Of course, Gaethje and Charles Oliveira out there as well, kind of on the outside looking in. And as good as and as important as 155 has been for the UFC, do you think this is like the most fascinating year to come in the history of the lightweight division in your mind with, with all these questions unanswered? Yeah, I don't know how you could argue otherwise, you know, and my inbox got a couple of doozies yesterday, right? I mean, it's fascinating to see how it all will play out. And I also think Islam Akashev is an interesting name to bring up because one thing that I think a fan suggested, maybe one of our podcast listeners, if you want a shot at Khabib, if you really want to be the guy that maybe would draw Khabib back, you know, or if you're Drew Dober or whomever it's going to be, Go beat Islam Makhachev, right? Go knock that guy out. And maybe that'll, you know, get Khabib's competitive spirit going a little bit because you know that camp believes Makhachev is a future UFC lightweight champion. And uh, they believe it's a matter of if not when. Uh, or when not if, I should say. So uh, fascinated to see what happens at 55, to see if Chandler, you know, can really be a factor because uh, that's biting off a whole lot with Dan Hooker as the entry fight. So, yeah, man, the cupboard is the furthest thing from Bear, and, and we're excited to uh, to see how it all plays out here in a couple weeks, man. Of course, the big question is whether or not Habib comes back because, I mean, you were there, UFC 254, what a moment that was, submits Justin Gaethje and then announces retirement. But... The UFC, Dana White, has has not closed the door completely yet. They're going to be meeting early next week. But what's your gut telling you, John? Do you think we've seen the last of Habib, or do you think uh, something entices him back in there? Well, I think if you're asking me, does he compete in the next 12 months? I don't think so. You know, I don't see much differentiation between 29 and 0 and 30 and 0. You know, go start playing 29 black on the roulette wheel. You know, move it on, right? I just don't see some value in one more win. You know what I mean? Especially if he made his promise to his mother. Now, there's a lot of guys out there that provide intriguing challenges, and maybe that would be something that that Khabib could speak to. But right now, that competitive spirit. 
spirit isn't necessarily there. And the manner in which he disposed of two interim champions is such that, you know, those rematches don't make a lot of sense. So I know he, he eventually uh, is going to get some sort of competitive itch. Maybe he can scratch it as a coach. I really don't know. Um, but I think you'll see him maybe in a grappling setting at some point. But in 36 months, maybe. But I just don't see him in the UFC in 12 months. And uh, I hope I'm right on that. I think he had a great capstone and a great moment. I'm not in any great desire to see him rush back to the table. I'm with you on that one. Uh, I just got back from picking my son up at school. I know you got to get ready to pick your kids up from school in a few minutes. But I did want to get at your take on a couple more things before we let you go, John. First off, and I've said this a million times now, Dana White deserves a ton of credit for what he did to get things back in 2020, 100%. But one thing that's kind of irked me, John, is uh, to see his relationship with the MMA media deteriorate even more so than has been in a long time. It's been interesting to watch. And I'm sure you saw the video where he shut down the naysayers and proved people wrong, et cetera. But I'm curious, what did you think of that video? Because listen, there are some in this space who are negative, John, and I'm sure you've seen it. But at the end of the day, I feel like the majority of the media members, we had questions and I think we're right to have those questions as this is all coming together. So this notion that the MMA media tried to stop this from happening, in right. my opinion, it's a bit far-fetched. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that, if I could. And, and do you think that this relationship between the media and Dana White can improve? Because you know him better than I do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate. And I think a lot of what you bring up is fair. And I will couch what I say with the fact that I basically turned in my card as a broadcast journalist when I signed with the UFC in 2011. And essentially became a promoter. I will say, though, as somebody who works for the UFC and is a full-time employee, I think a lot of us got a little bit defensive, right, that maybe we weren't getting the national credit as a whole for putting these live events on in this climate, you know? And when some of the mainstream sports leagues, for lack of a better way to put it, would come back, they would do so with all this fanfare and how are they doing this? And why wasn't the NBA calling Dana White and Hunter and Lawrence Epstein and trying to figure out what the UFC was doing to try to expedite some of their problems. So I did get a little bit defensive and sort of wanted to see the UFC and not just Dana White, but our executives get a modicum of credit for what we were able to accomplish in 2020. You know, I mean, they give out the Emmys. Nobody's acknowledging what the UFC has done from a live production standpoint. So maybe that's a separate conversation. But I do believe that maybe there were some unfair criticisms levied at the media. It's hard for me to sort of go too far down that path, obviously. But, uh, Obviously, we need the media as much as we need the fans. We need everybody back in the building, and nobody will be happier than me, I can assure you, when we have some sense of normalcy. But there's been great support of this organization, as you know from yourself and from a lot of media members. And uh, I don't know, man, there's so much noise and toxicity in this MMA space. And, you know, I got three kids and packing lunches, and dude, like, I'm out of my skull piece trying to just keep my damn life together. So I get asked a lot about that. You know, to me, it's just another day in, in this MMA paradise that I think we're all thankfully to have some sort of seat in, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, you know, and hopefully that, uh, I mean, I get compared to Dana White all the time because of the looks and the bald head and all that stuff. They say I'm Dana's kid and everything. But, uh, you know, yeah. someday, hopefully this uh, this can all improve, John. It, no, it, I you agree. Know. I agree. And again, I used to work for ESPN when I was forced to ask Dana White the hard-hitting questions. And our relationship was obviously different then than it is right right now. Um, but I I'm hoping that uh, that things can improve here in 2021. It's all roses and rainbows in 2021, Mike Heck. I mean, let's be honest. I love it, man. And uh, 
I, I am going to ask you about this. I, you know, we're face to face. I think it's fair. Hey, it's up to me to not perjure myself. <laughs> you yeah. If you, if you think about it a lot, you could tell me, but uh, I am sure that you have seen and heard over the last year, several months about Joe Rogan. And he's, you know, he's been taking a little bit of a beating on the broadcast. And, and let me just say this. I think at times I have been critical, but while some people are ready to just throw him out of the seat, I'm not ready to throw him out of the seat. I feel like he's still got a ton to bring to these broadcasts, but at times I feel like the three-man booth and having two color guys more specifically, I feel like it kind of hampers him a little bit. I mean, that's just where I sit, but I wanted to ask you about all that because I feel like after every pay-per-view when we're doing these live post shows here on MMA Fighting, we get a ton of Rogan questions and people just criticizing him and, and how he handles himself in the broadcast. So I wanted to, if you don't mind to, to kind of get your take on the whole situation, because, you know, sort of like the Dana situation, you know him a lot better than, than most of us who are criticizing him. Right. Sometimes it's hard for me to assess the totality of a broadcast right after the fact. And really I would need to not unlike a fan or me, media member, go back and fine tooth comb the thing to address specific criticisms. I can tell you that for me, I do try to take that constructive criticism and employ it in the next show. I mean, for all the noise, that's out there. There is certainly some constructive stuff that I think you can uh, you can take to the next show. I have seen some of that. You know, I think that again the the social media space after these live events uh, can be a tough place for us to sort of engage and and habitate. Uh, but I think for Joe, there are a lot of different factors. I think he has never been happier in that broadcast booth. And I hate to put words in his mouth, but I really think he enjoys the dynamic. He was in a two-man booth forever where he was just working with a play-by-play -play guy. He couldn't bounce off of a fighter. And I think it's been an adjustment for all of us. I mean, my job, as I've said to you, is a totally different thing in a three-man booth versus a two-man booth in terms of the real estate that I have, in terms of what is asked of me. Um, but no broadcast is the same. And I can assure Sure, you big picture like we do look at everything that people say and uh we ain't trying to get worse like we're trying to get better but if you're asking me i think he still adds tremendous value i still think that there's a special undeniable quality to our broadcast when he is a part of it and uh i can assure you he ain't going nowhere again i hate to put words in his mouth but he absolutely loves this job and uh I think we had a little bit of an international flair with some of the pay-per-views at the end of the year. You know, there were big shows like UFC 251, 253, 254 that he wasn't a part of because they were happening in Abu Dhabi. But hopefully domestic pay-per-views return here uh, more so in, in 2021, and uh, he gets a chance to get back out there more often. You know, it's not that easy stepping up every eight weeks trying to do one of these things and constantly having a revolving door with the broadcast team. But uh, I love the guy. I've never been closer to him than I I am right now on January 6, 2021, and uh, hopefully he's here well past me. Big question, John. Is how'd I how'd I fucking do? Is the question. You you effing did great, John. You you did you did you did amazing. Right. Excellent excellent answer. I appreciate the the, the candidness and the, obviously huge question as I'm looking at you right now. True or false? Is the mustache sticking around for Fight Island? So does this look like a mustache to you right now? Sort of, right or no? Yeah, sort yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, so. I don't know. It's it's it evolves, Mike. I mean, again, it's like it grows so goddamn fast that if I shave everything off right now, I'll have a mustache by the time I board that plane on Saturday. So, yeah, I haven't I've been rocking this thing now. It's been well over a year. So uh, I don't know if you want me to wear this a UFC 257. Just say the word. It'll be there. You want the stash? I think you got to keep it, man. All right. Done. 
done. Yeah. Break news. MMAfighting.com. Mustache day. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like Wade Boggs and Jody Reed, John. Ah, Jody <laughs> Reed, number three in your program right there. <laughs> You know why I like having John Anik on the show? First of all, he's just a wealth of knowledge and information. But secondly, it, and I don't feel like what I do is like interview people. I feel like they're more conversational. But like having Anik on, it's like two guys sitting at the bar. I don't know if it's like the Boston connection. I don't know. But I am excited to, to hear him call the action in Abu Dhabi beginning next Saturday. And uh, if you didn't know, early start time for the first two cards – uh, the January 16th car, which is going to be on ESPN Plus and ABC prelims are going to be on ESPN Plus exclusively for that January 16th card headlined by Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. Prelims start at noon and then the main card starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time. That is tremendous. I love that. But if you th- thought that was cool, this is interesting, too. The Wednesday card, the one headlined by Chiesa versus Magni, prelims start at 9 a.m. Eastern, noon Eastern main card. It's just awesome. It is just awesome. Love that once in a while. And then, of course, the, the, the trip culminates with UFC 257 headlined by Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Normal start time in the U.S. for that card. First pay-per-view of 2021. Prelims probably start at like 6.30 or 7. ESPN prelims at 8 Eastern time. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, the main card at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's the UFC's future. As we head to our next guest, whose future in the sport is no longer with the UFC, as he has just signed with the Professional Fighters League. Huge signing. Let's chat with one Anthony Pettis on What the Heck. Making his What the Heck debut, happy to welcome the former UFC lightweight champion of the world who recently made the decision to turn the page in his fighting career. And maybe he might quite possibly have the shortest free agency in MMA history, if we're for being honest. See, aside with the Professional Fighters League for the 2021 season, Anthony Pettis joins us on the program. Anthony, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. Can't complain. Congratulations on the signing, Anthony. It's only been a couple of weeks since, since the news broke, almost 12 years with the WEC and then subsequently with the UFC. What was that like to put pen to paper, thus closing the door on that pivotal chapter of your career? Oh, it was crazy, man. Honestly, the, the thing that was uh, most disappointing was not being able to do it in front of fans, you know, not having the fans in the audience and like getting that experience of that UFC feel one more time. Um, but uh, I think, um, it, you know, for me, it was time. You know, I think it was like one of the things that um, I thought about at the beginning of last year, you know, after I came off of back to back losses. I'm like, All right, I got I to figure out what's going on in my career. What is like what is what's happening to make these these. Uh, these fights feel the way they're feeling, you know, it was like, it was like, I was training, doing the training. I was busting my butt in training camp. Um, and then I'd get in the fight and it wouldn't be my best performance. And I'm like, yo, something, something's off. So I went and saw, uh, went to see a mental, a psychologist, a psychologist, you know, UFC gave me a psychologist, a sports coach. Um, and speaking with him and training with him, man, it just opened my, my mind up, like my eyes up to like my career and my decisions I was making in my career and like the fights I was taking. Um, I was always looking for like the next big thing, you know, was like I was addicted to like that that next big win, that next big thrill. You know, going up to 170, fighting Wonder Boy, going down to 145 and fighting Oliveira and Max Holloway. You know, I did some crazy things in my career. And when you're in the trenches, you don't really have time to like sit back and look at it. You know, you're like, all right, what's next? What's next? On to the next camp. On to the next guy. Um, and for me, I fought the best of the best. You know, I fought everybody in the UFC. Like if you look at my list of names, it's 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 killer's row, if you will. You know, it's like it's all the top guys. And I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud that I went and fought them good guys. But then when I think about it without the emotion attached and like, you know, the the 
the fighter mindset attached, like I'm the best, you know, I'm, I'm the best in the world. You know, I want to show that I'm the best in the world. It just makes me think that I didn't make the best choices in my career during that time. You know, I was going for like these, these big names, these big wins and doing these crazy weight cuts where now it's like, I want to slow it down a little bit. I want to be a champion, but I don't, I don't want to be in that rush to be a champion. Like, I don't want to be like, how do I get back to that belt? And, and that's where I was at in my UFC career. I was always trying to get back to becoming a champion and, Going into last year, coming off that last loss, you know, in, in January, um, I was like, let me slow, let me slow this down. You know, I, I didn't fight till May, and then I fought again in December. So it was a slower year for me, like than usual. But um, I made some 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 life lifestyle changes and some life choices that I'm like, yeah, this is how I want to end up, my legacy in the sport, how I want to be remembered in the sport, and. Um, I think this was one of the big things that guys are going to talk about. You know, most, most guys, I was very comfortable in the UFC. They took care of me very well. I was, you know, well looked after. Um, but it was like, there are other opportunities out there. My little brother leaving, you know, going up to going to Bellator was, uh, one of the, one of the re not main reasons, but one of the reasons where I'm like, yo, I saw him transition over to an organization. Um, I went to corner him at one of the fights, both of his fights and, and seeing how he was treated, seeing how the, the fans re respected it. It was like, you know, it, it made me feel like, I got to see what's next. I got to see what else is out there. And I got to see, you know, what my worth was. When you had the pen in your hand, getting ready to sign that PFL contract, were there like, were there nerves attached to it? Like you had, you had made the decision to move on and test free agency, but still as that contract is in front of you, the mighty pen is in your hand. It must've been like a surreal feeling for you. Was it not? Oh man. It was so, it was a, uh, probably one of the most nervous days of my life. You know, like it was like, um, making a big decision, you know, cause it was like, like I said, the UFC has been nothing but great to me. You know, I've had the, the best opportunities I've gotten, uh, treated very, very well in the UFC, you know, taken care of very, very well. Um, great opportunities, man. Like I grew up under them lights, you know, them gloves are like part of, was part of my life, you know, like seeing them gloves is part of my life. And then deciding that, you know, I'm going to go see what's next, the next part of my career, the next chapter of my career. I think you said it very well, like that, that turning the page onto the next part of my career. Um, I was nervous. Yeah, I definitely still am nervous. Anything could happen, um, you know, and I, the best thing I, about this is I know where my fights are. You know, in the UFC, you can, it's like anything to pop up, a short notice fight. You got this guy that got hurt. You know, this time I know when I'm fighting. Um, I know the 10 guys that are in my division. And, uh, you know, I have an opportunity to become a champion in 12 months. When did the fight with Alex Morono come together from your perspective? Like Alex told me before the fight, it was like two and a half, maybe three weeks before the fight actually happened. He put pen to paper. When did you know about it? Same exact deal. Um, the UFC called me up like, hey, we got an opportunity on the card. Like that's kind of how it always happens. I told him I wanted to fight. You know, I was like, you know, I want three fights in December. Um, it didn't look like it was going to happen because uh, the, the that card got full. I think Leon Edwards and uh, what's the guy's name? Hamza Shemaev. There you go. That guy, um, <laughs> that guy, one of them guys got COVID and they opened up a spot on the card. So they hit me up. Um, they didn't really have an uh, opponent for me. They gave me a couple, uh, a list of names and I'm like, yo, whoever's ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. Whoever's ready. Um, I didn't want to cut down to 155 in that short of notice. Cause my goal was to go back to 155. Um, it was like three weeks or two and a half weeks. I'm like, yo, that's going to be a crazy weight cut. I'd rather fight at 170. Um, so you know, they got back and I think they, Axe Morono's coach or Axe Morono before he even like knew what was going on. And I was doing an ESPN interview, like right that same minute. I'm like, all right, he, he took the fight. So like, you know, I, I give him my quote. I'm like, yo, he's, you know, I knew he was a dangerous guy from Texas, a former teammate of the guy that I fought in January. So it was like, yo, I kind of want to get that one back um, out of Florida MMA. And, uh, you know, it, the rest is history. You know, he, he signed the fight and we, we went in there and had a good fight, a fun fight, actually. It was a fun fight. When was the last time you had a fight on that short of notice? 
Um, Cowboy Cerrone in May. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. What Same a crazy thing, year yeah. this was, man. Yeah. Year, bro. <laughs> but the best thing for me was like that mindset change. You know, when I, when I started talking to that, that coach, um, I was just ready, like mentally ready. I didn't have to like get so, cause I've been doing this so long. I feel like the more pressure you put on yourself, the more like things happen in training camp, like little things that we can't control. And these, these last two camps was like, I was already training. I was in shape. It was just getting little parts of the game, you know, better for my opponent. Um, and then I fought Cowboy, a former, a former opponent, you know, fought him before. And then uh, we trained together, you know, so it was like one of them, it was, it was weird, you know, fighting your friend. Um, but at the same time, we're both warriors. We both, we both go in there and, and put on for the fans. And that was another fun fight. I think I had great fun fights this year, honestly. I had fun doing it again. As you're making the walk to the Octagon in Las Vegas, like you mentioned, there's no crowd. There's the, the, the fanfare that you, that you had hoped for wasn't there. Did you know right there and then that you were walking to that octagon for the last time? Like, were you a hundred percent sure that this is it, no. or is it still up in the air? It was still up in the air. You know, I was I was going in there. Um, I, I knew it was my last fight on my contract. So I was like, yo, I gotta win. And I gotta perform. I gotta look. I gotta look good doing this, and I gotta have fun doing it. I tried to take that pressure off of myself. That that whole training camp it was it was short camp. I was really like judging my mental preparedness. Like I was like, yo, am I mentally in these training sessions? Am I mentally in this in this sparring session, these grappling sessions? And I was like basing my instead of like my physical performance, I was really judging my mental performance. And um, I will do that for all the rest of my fights. Like instead of going in there like trying to trying to win sparring and win win grappling and, and win pad sessions like I'm going to judge myself on how mentally was I in that pad session how long was I there in that pad session because that's where fighters kind of lose uh, their ability to grow and they don't even realize it we do this so much you go to these training rooms and like 20 minutes or 30 minutes of that practice, your head's somewhere else. You know, you're thinking about what's, what do you got to do today? What bills you do, what moves you're going to make, um, you know, what interviews, like all that stuff is in your head. And then you think about it, you only really got, you know, 15, 20 minutes of practice because the other one you're, you're mentally somewhere else. And, you know, once, once I was aware of that, I started focusing on that part of my training and I, I could feel my game, you know, picking up again. So that was a great thing that happened in my last camp was like changing my, my perspective of judging my physical performance to my mental performance. Yeah, I mean, it was it was super noticeable on that night on December 19th. Like you looked you could tell like just by the look in your eyes, like you looked like free. Is that I don't know if that's like the right word, but you look just like you you, like you said, you were having fun. You looked free and you were actually in like. You, you focused a lot on the mental, which is great, but you looked in like tremendous physical condition. And I know that you had a phenomenal interview with ESPN. You discussed the decision to enter sobriety. You were, you were sober for, for several months. I mean, that walk to the octagon, like how good did you feel physically and mentally? Was that like the best you felt in a long time? Yeah, I think the physically physical came with the mental side. Like like once I freed my mind up and I was like focusing on the right things and I wasn't trying to get these like um I wasn't forcing progress. It was progress was happening naturally and then like obviously being sober changes the game up, you know. Cuz like I I explained on this like I don't think I had a problem. I wasn't like addicted to like doing these things. It was just like so many years of these roller coasters of like training camp, not training camp. It became normal. It was like not training camp life. I could drink beer. I could smoke. I could do like all these other things. And then when I'm in training camp, I was super strict, but then the growth wasn't happening because I was always like preparing for an event. And then like being able to train, like even right now without having a a fight coming up and actually focusing on small parts of my game and being mentally there and like, all right, I'm going to focus on guillotines today and really focus on my guillotines and not like be 
clouded with other other thoughts. It's it's such a freeing thing. And then like going into that fight, like me and my you know psycho my, my my mental coach was like, you know, let's make sure we're there mentally. Let's you know let's have some key words that we can like bring ourselves back. And that first round, I faced some adversity. You know, I slipped when I did that jump round kick. He hit me twice in the face. You know, blood. I I felt the blood right away. And I'm like in my head, I'm only like talking to myself. Like, oh, here it comes. And I'm like, yo, what are you talking about? Get 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 out of your head and get to this fight. And then uh. That's that's what I impressed myself the most about, like being able to bring myself back. You know, after I even after I got hit in the face like that, you know, and blood was coming out. Every time I get hit in the nose, I bleed now. Like it's crazy, but yeah, you know, he got me two good shots, and I talked myself back into being present, and that was huge for me. Isn't that crazy to kind of think about in your career with like the names you fought, the championships, like all that stuff? It took you like this long to to put that in perspective. <laughs> So crazy, man. I'm like, yo, if I wish I, I wish I would have pursued this like a long time ago. I like I was such a, a, a man's man, a tough dude, or I'm like, yo, I don't need that. I don't need no outside advice. I don't want no one clogging up my head or like and then like the first two talks I had with him and I was like, Whoa, like this is like it's a real journey. Like that mental that mental like journey is like there's so many good books about it. There's so many great athletes before me that that already did this. Like with like tennis is like a, a good one to like uh, related to because I feel like there's very specific techniques in tennis, like the backhand, the stroke, the athleticism. And like in MMA, if you're not present for one second, you know, you're going to make a mistake. And we're both well-prepared athletes and 15 minutes goes by like this in, in that octagon or 25 minutes. And, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, man, I was just, I, I was just a killer out there, man. I was like looking for blood when I, when I went on my run and I mentally wasn't even like aware of it. Like I wasn't aware that I was just so focused on that goal. But then I got that belt and I think that's when stuff changes for a lot of athletes. So you're like so focused on that goal, that gold. When you get that gold, you know, I defended it once, but then like going into the RDA fight, it was like, I I accomplished what I set out to accomplish, if you will. Like, it was like, I, I did that. And then it was like, I lost it. And I'm like, man, I want to get back to it. And like the second time around, guys, guys are better. The guys studied your game. Like people were looking at you as a champion. Like what holes does he have? And, you know, I, and, and mentally I was just in and out of it. Like I was in, in, in the training camps, but then out of training camp, I wasn't thinking about fighting. I wasn't thinking about the next you know part of my career. So um, I'm, I'm glad that I found it right now. And I still have a long time in the sport and I have a whole new journey ahead of me, but it was like, um, it's crazy when you, when you think about it, man, like how huge that, that mental aspect is to this game. The timing was perfect because it was your last UFC fight. Everybody was paying attention. Everybody knew it was the last fight on your contract. And then you enter free agency for, what was it, like 48 hours? Like, what was that <laughs> process like for you? I mean, it did not take long for you to make a decision, but was this just like a whirlwind for you? Or did you already kind of have an idea of, of where this was going to go? I had an idea of like a new, a, a new, a new, a new home, if you will. I just didn't know where, where it was going to happen. You know, I knew, um, I knew we had offers because like, like you said, people knew that I was fighting my UFC contract out. Um, but I didn't, couldn't look at the offers and be like, all right, this is what I want until I was done with that last fight. So when I got into that last fight, you know, the emotion's super high. I'm like, all right, what's next? Um, we had to uh, get clearance from the UFC. So the UFC has to like release you of your, your, your contract. Even after your fight's up, they have to release you of your contract. So once that happened, that's kind of when I had an opportunity to say yes to something. Um, and, you know, I was looking at, a couple of deals, a couple of opportunities, and the PFL just made the most sense to me, especially at this point in my career. Like their their format for becoming a champion, you know, I have I can become a champion in twelve months. So like you know, it's a season. I know when I'm going to fight. Um, it's definitely a whole different experience for me, you know, having a tournament style like this. But um, and also that I, I get to be the face of this company. I know there's other big names in this, but like 
I'm I'm taking it on my my own my own shoulders to be the face of this company. I feel like it's my job to make this company a household name, and people want to tune in and, and know when the next PFL fights are happening. And um, you know, so that that was another big thing for me, like take, saying yes to this part of the, my career. It's like Bellator, like One FC, same kind of concept as the UFC. I'd have to work my way up to a title shot. I'd have to find out, you know, who's the next guy in line. Try to you know try try that aspect to it. Whereas this is like. Uh, it's already laid out how to become a champion. Like I, I know how to do it. I know it's, 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 it's in, it's in 12 months in a year span and there's 10 guys in my division and only four of them I have to beat. So um, it's exciting for me. Was there like a last ditch effort from the UFC to try to snatch you back up or like once they said, all right, man, you can go say yes to somebody else. Was it just, a, that was like the mutual parting of the way, so to speak. Well, we were, we were going back and forth when I had two fights left, one fight left. You know, they offered a contract. They offered they, – they weren't cutting me. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, they're making all these big cuts. Are you afraid to get cut? Like, I wasn't getting cut. I wasn't on the chopping block. Like, I had an offer from the UFC. Um, but that offer was, like, putting me back in the same, the same rat race I've been in, like, if you will. Like, I, I've been in that rat race, and I know, like, I was going down to 155. Everybody's trying to get that belt again. There's some names in front of me. I mean, it would have been fun to go back there and you know, take care of some guys that I, I had – that I know I could have beat and I, I lost to. Um, but, you know, when I made this decision, I took all that emotion away from it. I took away, like, trying to be a champion in the UFC, trying to, like, re-come re back from losses that I had, uh, you know, rematches that I wanted. Um, and I was like, what makes sense for my career? What makes sense for Anthony Pettis right now? Um, and, you know, it didn't take long. Like, I, I knew what, what my goals were, and, and these guys were giving me a format for it. You, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. You're, you're a prize fighter, Anthony, as most people w are in this sport. I mean, you have to be to, to do what you guys do, but you're a professional athlete at the same time. Money is, is awesome. Like it, it is just awesome. And seeing a million dollars for a prize just looks great. I'm sure. But you know, the format and the way it's structured, is it more about the prize or is it more about starting this thing? You said, you know, right off the bat, like you could be the face of this organization. You're going to start this thing with a huge bullseye on your back. Like, is it more about the money or, or more about the challenge? Like getting to New Year's Eve, winning the whole thing from a competitive standpoint, like what stands out more to you? I mean, don't get it twisted. The money's for sure the motivation and, and all this, you know, I got to take care of my, my family, my, my, my daughter, um, you know, so the money's definitely, you know, there for me, but it's like, now I was making good money in the UFC, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, it was, it was like, this is a crazy switch for me, but it's like the the opportunity to become a champion, a new format and becoming the face of this company is huge, a huge part of this decision for me. Um, but I mean, a million dollars is a million dollars. So it's like, uh, that's, that's definitely still the go, but, um, everything that comes along with that, you know, uh, you know, the, being able to fight four times next year, um, knowing when my fights are, I don't have to take no two, two week notice fights. I don't have to do, and I don't have to put myself in crazy positions and cut crazy weight to go get a title shot or like, you know, do these, do these things that I've been doing. Um, all that kind of played into my decision. Of course, the last two seasons at 155 for the PFL were won by uh, Nathan Schulte. The guy has looked great unbeaten in two seasons, hasn't lost a fight in almost four years. Everyone, as soon as you sign, it was like, oh man, Pettis and, and, and Nathan, let, let, let's, it seems like that that's the dream matchup in this division. And we don't know what it's going to look like bracket wise and, and not bracket wise, but just like regular season wise, what's, once mm -hmm. everything starts up divisionally, but the competitive part of you already has to be looking at this matchup, right? Most definitely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when I was looking at all these, these, uh, lightweight divisions, I knew I was going back down a lightweight neck this year. Um, you know, obviously you got to look at that guy. You know, he wins, he won, he won twice in a row. Um, definitely looked great. You know, he had some, some, some great striking, great jujitsu. Well, all around great fighter, honestly. And, uh, 
he comes from a great camp, you know, so he has guys testing him all the time in, in, in his camp. Um, but he hasn't fought Anthony Pettis, man. He hasn't fought somebody like me. Um, and the way my, my mindset is right now, I'm just excited to go out there and actually perform, you know, not, not only win, but perform and, and, and you know, carry that, that flag on my back. Couple last things, Anthony, and, and I do appreciate the time, but you know, kind of going back to that interview with the SPN before your last fight and, and some of the things that we talked about here, to, to sort of add to that, and, and I, I was actually thinking about this ever since the fight with Morono and, and seeing your demeanor, like we talked about, like, you know, looking back seven, eight years ago, you're, you're the UFC lightweight champion of the world. You're on the Wheaties box. And you, I mean, you, you're the freaking man, Anthony, and you're the guy, you're becoming the face of the sport that has had to continuously fight for mainstream acceptance and exposure for so long. This is just incredible to watch as a fan, but on the flip side, you sort of touched on this. It had to come with this immense pressure attached to it. So I'm curious, were you happier then when you were world champion on top of the world in this sport and having all the success you were having, but balancing all those pressures and the things that come with that? Or are you happier right now, new promotion, new opportunity, new mindset, new lease on life? Are you even able to answer that question? I mean, that's, that's a great question. And it's kind of hard to answer because like when, uh, in 2013, you know, that was my only goal was to be the UFC champion. I didn't think of no other organization. I wasn't even like focused. I wasn't even focused on money at that point. You know, I was like, I want to be the best in the world. Cause I was getting taken care of pretty well when I came over from the WEC. Um, and, um, once I accomplished that, you know, there's a lot that comes along with that. And you see other athletes that, you know, other, other fighters that, you know, it's hard to hold the belt. That's why Anderson Silva is one of the, one of the goats to me. Like the, the, how long you hold that belt for John Jones, how long has he held that belt for? Like, there's a lot that comes with that, that fame, that, uh, that target on your back, you know, like everybody wants a piece of you. And, you know, I was, I was young when that happened to me and you know, I was 23 when I won the, the, the WC belt, 26 when I won the UFC belt. Um, and, it, I didn't make the best decisions. And I, I'd be the first to admit that, you know, I, I, I made really bad decisions outside of my training camps in training camps. I was focused. I was hundred percent all in, but outside of the training camps, that's where I was making mistakes. Um, and now that I'm in this stage of my career, I'm past like them decisions. Like I don't even need to impress somebody. I'm not trying to like go out and, and, and buy the next big thing or like, yeah, that's, like I've done that already. It's like, now I'm, back focused on legacy and it, it feels good to be like focused on the career again like that like even my out, outside of my season I'm building up a fight team and I got guys signing under my management so it's like um a lot more opportunities but the right opportunities not like stuff that's going to pull me away from my, my goals the management too I mean you're 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 tip it's good to stay busy and have like different things right like I mean the yeah. fight game can consume you in a lot of ways like you focus on it too much at least you're still like in the fight game like you're still thinking about it but you're now you're helping other people that's got to be really pivotal for you at this point in your career yeah but I, I was doing it too with Serge you know my little brother I was like kind of helping him out this whole time and all the guys at Rufus Sport but like I wasn't officially doing, you know, I, we had managers and stuff that was helping. So like me starting this year is like, you know, I have, I have the, the whole thing here. You know, I have like the, from the training to the relationships, to, to, to everything a fighter needs to, to, to succeed. And I know the mistakes that they got to look out for. So like, that was a big reason why I'm, you know, starting my management company and helping these other guys out. And we're starting from the ground up, you know, it's like me starting with these guys. Like I have some guys that are in the developmental team, amateur team and a professional team where like, 
they're the newest new. Like they're kind of the green green guys. No fights yet. And then once we start getting these guys fights and they start progressing, I think my management company's gonna make a name pretty quick for itself because we have we have the the great foundation here with Rufus Sport down the block. My gym. Now I'm in front of my gym right now doing this interview. I got my team about to train. Um, yeah, it makes you stay part of that that game. You know, I got to be in there helping these guys out. Um, and honestly, when you teach something, that's when you know you mastered it. And I think when I teach these skill sets, I can like, explain it on the lowest level or on the highest level, um, there's something, there's something that helps you with that. That's something to be said about that. So I'm excited about, you know, this, this chapter of my career on the fighting side, you know, building up my management team with my, with my gym, um, so much stuff to be excited for, for 2021. I'm sure you don't have any regrets, you know, with, with the UFC career and everything, it's all learning lessons along the way, but is there like a certain fight that you, you just wish you, you could have gotten that, that you didn't? Tony Ferguson. I said it like the last, right after that last fight. You know, if I would, if I would have stayed around the UFC, that would have been a fight that I, I definitely wanted. And not because, like, you know, where he's at right now. Tony's a tough dude, but I feel like I was that close, man. I was that close to winning that fight. It was like, and it was a fight of the year. You know, we we put a show on, so they're one of the kind of fights that I like. Um, but yeah, Tony Ferguson was one of them fights that I wish I can get back. Um, Nate Diaz, obviously, that was another fight that I wish I can get back. Um, but like I said, like, when I was making that decision, I'm like, let me let me take the emotion away from all of them fights and like what's really best for my career moving forward. And um, th this deal that's in front of me, man, like this, this year in front of me is very exciting. And then last thing, I, I have to ask you about this and I'm sorry to do so, but uh, I know you've done some interviews and you waited on this whole thing, this Jake Paul versus Ben Askren fight. <laughs> you said you'd be down to help Ben get ready. And I mean, do you honestly think this fight happens? Like if it does, I'm sure you'll help Ben and be a good teammate. But do you feel like in the next two months, you'll be working with Ben Askren to get ready to box Jake Paul? I just feel like, I feel like the both of them are trolling all of us, Anthony, maybe you can, can provide some insight. I don't know. I mean, from what Ben said that his team was really in negotiation of actually giving him a, a contract and a deal. And then once he said yes to the contract, they went radio silent on him. So that was the last thing I heard. And that's probably like a week ago. So I'm not sure uh, if, if that's like part of their game plan or if they're going to, Ben will take the fight. You know, Ben's that dude. Like Ben yeah, will I take know. that boxing <laughs> match for sure. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of on them now. I think Ben agreed to it and it's kind of on, on their side now. That's so crazy. It's this is so so twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty man. Anything can happen. <laughs> A lot of great insight from Anthony Pettis. Definitely one of the more intriguing storylines heading into the PFL's 2021 season. Of course, they didn't have a 2020 season due to the pandemic and everything going on. But despite that, they made a lot of noise. Big signings, of course. You know, even dating back to before the 2020 season was supposed to kick off, they sent Rory McDonald. Now we get Anthony Pettis, Fabricio Verdum. Should be a very interesting year, and then I'm, I'm actually excited to see what else they can come up with before this 2021 season rolls on. Let's see what they can do. I'm, I'm intrigued. One of my, uh, one of my intriguing storylines into 2021 is all things PFL. 2018 was a big year for them. It was a, a, like a refreshing change of pace. You know what I mean? I thought the concept was, uh, was interesting. I think a lot of people questioned it, but they pulled it off. It was really fun. 2019 was. I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't 2018. It definitely wasn't. They, uh, a lot of chaos, a lot of craziness happened. Um, but maybe maybe absence is what's going to make the heart grow fonder. We will soon fa find out uh, what the PFL is going to be. I am excited, no doubt about that. We do have one more guest coming up to put a bow on this episode of the program, but I will go ahead and say my goodbyes here before we get to that. So first off, a big shout-out and a thank you to all of you listening watching the program 2021 is going to be 
a kick-ass year. I'm hopeful that 2021 is a kick-ass year for everybody. I look forward to hopefully doing some of that ass-kicking with all of you. But uh, yeah, let's do that. But don't forget, we'll keep you posted on when we plan to make the schedule shift with this show moving to Tuesdays, between the links moving to Thursdays. Excited for that to happen, of course. Big thank you to Casey Lydon on the production, Alex Savis and Jose Youngs on the graphics, and dealing with me pestering them for graphics and all sorts of craziness. They are the best. Uh, big shout out to the guests, the fighters, and once again, all of you guys. And as always, have a heck of a week, everybody. Last weekend without the UFC for a little while, so get ready for that fun and exciting eight-day stretch in Abu Dhabi. But we're going to leave you with my conversation with the James Krause. All right, the James Krause back on the show, one of the best 170-pounders in the sport, one of the best coaches in the sport, as we are now in, in a new year and a, and a lot of opportunities ahead of us, James. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, just enjoying the night off. I always take Wednesday nights off, so it's, uh, it's nice to not get beat up on a, on a weeknight for a change. There you go. Well, I appreciate you doing this on your night off. I was not aware of that. No worries. No worries. So we spoke right after your win over Claudio Silva on Fight Island, and you were waiting to, it was a couple days after, you were waiting to get your knee checked out once you got back into the U.S., and you thought it might have been a partial ACL tear, but you didn't know for sure. What kind of answers were uh, you able to get? Uh, it, uh, it was a, ended up being a, uh, can you see me? Yeah, there you are. Okay. Uh, ended up being a, a, partial, a partial MCL tear which is what i what i thought it was going to be that's what they told me there I, it's nothing serious uh no surgery or anything like that you know i'm i'm i think i'm it's i don't think it'll ever be the same but i'm pretty close you know it's i don't think it's 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 not too terrible it'll be all right i'm 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 about as good as i'm gonna be though yeah i mean you're not a guy that goes out and fights like five six seven times a year anyway so it's oh. like the layoff's probably gonna be like what it would normally be if there yeah. was no injury right i'm already training every day again so it's it's no problem yeah we're we're good well, we have a lot to discuss, James. First off, we uh, we saw that your old friend Joaquin Buckley has his next fight booked on January 16th, yeah. booked against Alessio DiCherico, and it seemed like everybody, including Dana White, thought a fight between yourself and Buckley, this was the direction to go because of what had been said over the last several months. Let's just go ahead and address this because I saw on social media after we confirmed this fight, you were taking a little bit of a beating. People were accusing you of ducking him, which is just so ridiculous to even say out loud to you. But uh, what happened from your perspective? Why did this fight not get put together between you and Joaquin Buckley? I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have the answer to that. To be honest with you, uh, I've asked for it uh, twice. I, you know, what I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't want to. Like, I'm. Not, I don't want to keep talking about it because, it, like, I feel like this is a this is a fight that's not. It's not going to happen. So. Uh, I'm not going to keep, I don't want to keep talking shit about something that's not going to, that's not going to happen. There's, there's nothing that's going to come from it. And I don't think it's on his end. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think it's not that he doesn't want to fight me. I'm not saying he's ducking me, but to say that I'm ducking him is absurd. And he didn't, I didn't hear him say that. Uh, but from anybody that knows me or has followed me at all in my career knows that that's not true. Uh, I've asked for the fight. They didn't want to make the fight. I can't, I can't force them to do it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure why I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to me, man. I haven't lost a minute to sleep over it. So it, you know, makes no, no difference to me. My, my, uh, my bills are paid regardless. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about it. We, we talked about it in nauseum. I'm sure you've talked about it a million times, but there was a post you made like right around Thanksgiving time. And it was something to the effect of sign the contract, sign it now, yeah. or we're done. I'm moving on. So ship yeah, sailed well, in I, your mind. 
well, that was just that was just me saying to everybody that was, that I'm ducking him. Is like, listen, I've asked for the fight. I don't know. I've done everything on my end that I can do to to get the fight. Uh, yeah, and like I, I hope I hope this I don't see this on Monday as like clickbait because I feel like I've done a couple of these interviews and it's like you know they chop up this much of it of, of what you said and and it, uh, I I'm I'm over it. You know, I, I pretty much said, hey, I asked for the fight. They don't want to make the fight happen. No problem, but quit saying I'm ducking people because I'm not. I've never ducked anybody in my life, and uh, I fought. I fought. I mean, look at look at the resume. You know what I mean? Like, look at my resume. Compare my resume to his. You know, it's not. I'm not scared of him. I'm sure he's not scared of me. Uh, I tried to make the fight happen. They didn't want to make it happen. Okay, cool. I'm on to the next. Yeah, I mean, you just just look at your last fight. Like you took you you went across the world on like two weeks' notice. Like it's a guy who won like 14 fights in a row. It's crazy. Like yeah. it's crazy to think that you you're ducking anybody right now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ducking anybody, man. That's uh, people can say what they want. They can have their opinion on on who would win or lose that fight, uh, and they're entitled to that opinion. But to say that I'm ducking him is absurd. Well, it seems at least for right now, based on your social media, that perhaps your sights might be set on a different competitor, or more like a competitor seems to have his sights set on you. Because yeah. earlier this week, you took you took to Instagram, and I saw this fight poster featuring yourself and one Diego Sanchez, and you threw some screenshots of a DM that he sent you. I'm just pulling it up real quick. So for those who didn't see it. It said, hello, James, you're a smart guy. Well, Matt's smart anyways. He spelled, he spelled you were wrong also. <laughs> we're reading this, try, try, trying to ignore the grammatical errors here. But uh, you had talked bad on my mentor when you don't even know him. He's actually a really amazing human being. I didn't want to get all heated and say F you, so I won't go there. It's cool, bro. I know you don't know. I'm going to retire soon, probably May, maybe April. Maybe I can show you some of Joshua's methods in the octagon. If it's not good timing, we should train, and I'll teach you some new shit. Breathe in your blessings, Diego Sanchez. Of course, the Joshua he's speaking of is his mentor and coach, Joshua Fabia, who has faced a ton of public criticism, and apparently you have had some not-so-nice things to say about him. Where did this all come from? Oh, I don't know him as a person. Maybe he's a good guy. I don't, I don't know him. I've never said a bad – well – that's not that's not necessarily true. I feel like he's a master manipulator. You know what I mean? Like the dude. I, I and I responded to. I, I'll go into this. I responded to Diego and I said, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He just don't know shit about fighting. And uh, listen, man. Like first of all, like I feel like there's been a couple of people that said like there's bro code of not sharing DMs. Like this wasn't a fucking conversation we had back and forth. You know what I mean? Like this. If like if there's, I'd never shared the Buckley uh, the conversation because that was a back and forth. That was a back and forth dialogue. I didn't share that. That's broker. There was no dialogue here. I said, you can get it. Like, let's go ask, ask for it. I'm here. You know what I mean? Like there was no dialogue. And if you're going to call me out, like, let's, what do you, what do you, what do you, he's not scared, but I just don't understand the, the not posting DMs. If there was dialogue back and forth. I can see that, but that was the end of it. I said, let's go. Like, I, I mean, I ain't hard to find man. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I basically just said I think his coach is a joke, and apparently he took offense to that. How long ago was this? This is like six, eight months ago. <laughs> yeah, I should I forgot all about it, man. Like, uh, no, this is probably six, eight months ago, maybe even longer. I just said I, I think the dude's a master manipulator. I, I think uh, he's a joke. I, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. And I, I, I'm sure he's a good dude. You know, I don't know him personally, but uh, I don't think he knows shit about the sport. I don't think he knows anything about combat sports, period. What's interesting about him is that, like, 
after the Pajeda fight and even after the Chiesa fight, it wasn't just like interviews with Diego is interviews with like both of them. So like he was in the limelight and it's not like he just flew under the radar and he might've flown under the radar for the Mickey golf. Fight cause I, I didn't even know anything about him until the Chiesa yeah. fight when he was like the only guy in his corner. And then like he got in all these interviews and we got to see more with him. So in a way it was just like, he was just everywhere. So it was like, it was almost like the, the criticism, I'm not gonna say it was warranted, but like you weren't, you weren't, you weren't attacking his character as a human. You were just judging him, like answering a fight question. The only thing that you could say that I said bad, bad about his character is I said he was a master manipulator. And I truly believe that. Like he's a dude that you see on the, the McDojo Instagram page that was like doing magical shit and people believe it. You know what I mean? Like, and unfortunately he's just got a hold of Diego who believes it. And I don't know what they got, you know, what that's all about or whatever, but Diego should know better. And, and he's always been kind of a little, Diego's always been a little bit odd anyway. So man, who am I to, who am I to, you know, to, I, I'm just giving my opinion. You know what I mean? If you don't like it, fight me. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. You know, if you don't like it, fight me. And apparently he wants to fight me, but I haven't heard a response from him since I posted that or his, or his guy. So when did he when did he send you that dm a couple days before that okay so it wasn't too long ago when when no. you like like when you saw that you had a dm from diego sanchez like what were you thinking like was it something you had to look at right away like how did you even react to it was in my other messages? folder i don't check them you know all the time so i whatever i looked at it and uh i hardly ever check them to be honest with you, but for some reason it it just so happened that i, that I checked it that day and uh I just said, oh, what's this guy want? I forgot. I, I mean, it's been eight months ago. You know what I, mean? I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot all about it. So, it was like, I mean, I still believe that. And I still am saying it. And, I, you know, it holds true. But, uh, you know, like I said, we, you want to fight me? Okay, cool. Like, let's go. I mean, April or May, I, I think it, it makes sense. He wants one more. I mean, listen, this guy – I'll be honest, like the, the, one of the big reasons I became a fan of the sport was because of Diego Sanchez on the first yeah. season of the ultimate fighter, like just watching him and just being Diego, like it got me into the sport. So like you could be the man's last fight. Like, is that something that would, yeah. that, that would mean a lot to you as a, as a fan and a coach and a fighter? Yeah. Listen, from a competitor standpoint, he's obviously, he needs to be in the hall of fame. Uh, in my opinion, he's, he was a pioneer of the sport. He's been, I mean, he's been, been fighting. He's almost 40 years old. So just him competing at the high level at 40 years old is amazing in itself. I won't be in the UFC when I'm 40. Uh, he's 39, I believe, but, uh, you know, he's uh, ultimate fighter one, I think. And, uh, won that, won that season, uh, as far as the who's who of any, you know, lineup of, of UFC vets, he's fought everybody. So, um, is there a part of me that wants to fight him? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to fight a legend like him, but from a, uh, from a competitor standpoint, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him, but from a, from a standpoint of like where he's, where he's at in his career, I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't think we're on the same level by any means. And, uh, even more so, I think his, his coaches is, is hindering his, uh, his career. I mean, th th there are a lot of people, obviously, and I'm sure you've seen this, that they're, con they're concerned with Diego. Like they love him. They appreciate everything he's done for the sport, but, but they're concerned about his health and his mental yeah. state. Uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think about the Diego Sanchez that we've seen over the last couple of years? Like, I know you've had opinions about his coach, but like, what about like Diego, the fighter? Like what, what have you seen over the last couple of years? Are you as concerned as a lot of other people might be? I mean, I hate to say that I'm concerned. It's not my job to be concerned with the dude, but yeah, I mean, to say they're, they're, if you're going to just watch and to say there hasn't been some kind of decline there, uh, you would be, you would be, uh, 
blind to say that that has not been a fact that there's been a, a decline in his his skill, his performance, you know, all all in all, all in, and even his. It seems like his his mental health. Listen, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not in any any shape to to comment on somebody's mental health, I guess. But it just seems from the outside looking in that there's definitely some things going on. And uh, you know, if he wants to fight me, dude, I would I would love to fight him from a competitor standpoint. I don't feel like we're on the same level by any means. But am I going to turn down a fight against a legend like him? Absolutely not. Somebody's got to fight him. Right. I agree. I agree. It seemed like maybe him and Damian Maya were going to meet at some point and it doesn't, nothing's on the book. So, I mean, he called you out. I mean, it's right there and I'll wait for him. I don't have, I'm not in any hurry. Right. Because James Krause, the fighter can wait, but James Krause, the coach cannot wait because a lot of your fighters are starting to get booked up, man. We saw Kevin Kroom. He's going to fight Alex Caceres. Of course, Megan Anderson's title fight with the man and Nunes got rebooked for March. I mean, I want to start there. Like it, it's the fight game and hiccups happen. You know, this as well as anybody, especially in this crazy time in the world. But when Megan found out that December 12th wasn't happening, how did she react to that? Oh, she was devastated for sure. We had to talk about it. You know, it's just, uh, you get that opportunity, uh, you know, especially with the implications, but you get that opportunity. And it's just like, you know, that's, it's a, it's a potential life changing moment for her. And then now that's, uh, we didn't get rescheduled. We just got, at first it was just, Hey, this is not happening right now. We are going to reschedule it, but there's no date set. Right. So they had to come back with us about a month later and say, okay, let's go with March 6th. Now was the, as a coach, do you feel like the postponement was like maybe good timing? Like, I, I mean, you don't want to overtrain. You, you want to peak at a certain point, but still yeah. like first UFC title fight chance to face the greatest of all time, extra time to prepare can't hurt all that much. Right. Like, do you guys look at it like that? Like extra time, this, this could be a benefit to you. That's how I looked at it for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely not going to hurt us. Right. I mean, we're not, (laughs) it's not going to hurt us uh, at all. The, 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 the thing about her is, is I say, it's not going to hurt us. It can't, it it can hurt us. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, I I feel like she would have been ready in December. She'll be ready March 6th. Like to me, it's tomato, tomato. I'm not going to complain over more time to prep, but, uh, you know, sometimes she gets, uh, we get in these long camps for her cause we always have a lot of notice for her fights. You know what I mean? So there was like 12 weeks notice. And anytime that you give that fighter 12 weeks to, to work, sometimes you can get over training in. And like, for example, uh, her last fight, uh, she was, her weight was just like oddly low and she was ran down and we're talking like three, three and a half weeks out before the fight. And, uh, you know, I said, listen, like you got to go home. You look like shit. Like I literally told her that in the middle of practice. I said, you look like shit. Get the f- Go the fuck home and go eat, go eat whatever you want today. I don't care what it is. And she had five guys twice. And I was like, go eat. You know what I mean? Like, and you can, she can do that because she's earned, you know, she's disciplined. She's very disciplined, too disciplined. In fact, at times. So, uh, yeah, we're good though. I mean, we're, she's looking great. Uh, we had a great session, uh, would have been yesterday and she looks incredible. You know, she's looking good. Her, 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 her rounds look good. She, she looks good. She looks really good. She's ready. I remember when she first got signed to the UFC, they wanted to throw her in with cyborg for the title, like right away for her first fight. And her and I've had conversations over the years about, you know, one, just trying to get into the UFC and the, the, the struggle that was for her because the division wasn't really there. They weren't sure what they were going to do with it. And then we've had conversations probably over the last year about like some of the things that she's dealt with mentally and you know, yeah. how she's still working on that. She's made that a priority. So as, as someone who's been around her and his culture for a while, like the difference between the Megan Anderson that came into the UFC 
to the Megan Anderson that we're going to see in March 6th, these are probably like two completely different people from a mental perspective. Is that accurate? Thousand percent. It's not even close. Uh, I think just her ability to uh, to be at peace with you know the the stressors and the and the anxiety and the you know the the emotion and the pressure that comes with you know getting ready for a fight in general, let alone a title fight. I think just I don't think those go away. You know what I mean? Like, but it's some people are better at uh, some people are better at dealing with those than others. And I just think she would kind of get uh, she would get in her own, own head before. And uh, now I think she's much better at, at dealing with those things and using them as a positive uh, rather than as a negative. And just like with anybody else, there's always there's always days that that you know that monster creeps up on you. But she's great. You know, she's uh, come come March sixth. There'll be no there'll be no reason that we shouldn't you know we shouldn't win a world title. There'll be no outside influence that you know it's not that we weren't ready or she, her mentally she wasn't there. Like all the boxes are checked on on our end. We just got to go execute. Can we get Grant Dawson a damn fight? The guy's on social media oh. shouting for a fight every day. What is going on here? I know. I know. I hope. I, I, trust me. Trust, trust me. However much you guys hear it, I hear it 10 times more. So it's. Uh, I hope to get the damn kid a fight and get him off my back. I think we're going to get something big, though. I think they're in the, they're working on something. I think they're going to get a, a pretty high-profile guy. All right. That's awesome. Um, who's next? Like, who's the next one you think we're going to see? I mean, listen, I know you don't want to, like, grade your fighters like your your prospects and your up-and-comers but you know we saw jeff molina get a contract yeah. uh, kevin Kroom get signed who who could be next who who could be next uh to, to to get over that hump there's there's three guys that that come to mind uh like next and we ask who's next uh three guys come to mind uh one is gonna be uh david onama maybe six and oh with six finishes uh five i believe in the first round um and then uh Trey Ogden is, oh, yeah. is up yep. there. He's up there. He's had a lot of, uh, you know, been doing well on LFA and, uh, it's fought on some other show on our show on fight pass as well. Uh, and then, uh, Mike Breeden fought on contender series, lost on contender series, had a great showing, you know, went after it, just, uh, started a little slow, but he just, he's coming off a really awesome, uh, body shot knockout and, uh, he's explosive. He's exciting. He has, he has the style that those that those guys want. So uh, I think it kind of depends on what weight class, but those are the those are the guys that I believe that will be next out of our gym. What did you think of Jason Witt's follow-up, the sophomore appearance? Good God, man. He looked tremendous, man. He looked yeah. so good. This is the guy we've been waiting, and it was nice to, like, know that he had some time to prepare for a fight, unlike the yeah. last one where even, like, hours before, he didn't even know if he was going to make that walk. Whole different situation this time around, and I thought he got the big fat hose job and should have got a bonus in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, we had some really good talks, uh, you know, him and I did before, and I could just tell going into it he was – you, you know, so I, I truly believe that there's times where uh, a fighter walks in that night and there's just nothing that anyone or uh, anything can do to stop that person from winning that night. Now I just feel like it's where he was, you know, it was just his night. You know, I just don't think there was too many people that were going to beat him that night. That must have meant a lot to you, too, because, I mean, he's been so close so many times to getting yep. that call. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't count until you get your first win, right? So. Just because you're there doesn't mean you're there. And, uh, you know, it's really important to get that first one out of the way, uh, you know, especially coming off of a loss, especially right now. You know, they're purging the roster. And uh, luckily, all my guys are, are coming off of, uh, you know, I haven't I don't have any like 0 and 2 guys or anything like that. So I think I have just a couple guys coming off of a loss, but they're, they have previous wins. So, you know, we're 
you have to be conscious of that right now. You know, the, the UFC is looking to cut anybody for any reason. They're letting go of a lot of high profile guys to clear, clear roster space for these younger hungry guys, you know, and, uh, my guys are in that, in that group, but, uh, we still gotta be, we still gotta be ready. You know, we had a great year last year. I don't plan on slowing down anytime soon, but you know, it's a new year. Uh, and we gotta, we gotta stay focused. Absolutely. Well, listen, I know it's your night off. I don't want to keep you from your family any longer. I appreciate the time as always, James, always a pleasure. All the best to you and the team, my man. Hopefully we get to see you and Diego get in there. If not, I'm sure you're okay with that. And whenever it happens, it happens. I appreciate it a ton, man. All right, man. Take care. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 